So our text from Hebrews will draw from Psalm 95, as we said, but maybe you also notice that Psalm 95 is referring back again to another event in the Old Testament, and that is Israel's rebellion at the edge of the promised land. And that's important for our text in Hebrews. So we'll read Numbers 14, verses 1 through 38. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 38. This is soon after Israel had come out of Egypt. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children would become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to, to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make you of a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give to them, therefore he killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers. 
nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number, from twenty years old and above, except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days, For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So far. And let's now turn ahead to Hebrews 3 where we'll read our text and also the surrounding context. Hebrews 3 verse 7 to chapter 4 through 13. Verse 13. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and here it comes a, follows a quote from Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And the next, the following verses, 12 through 14, is our text for the sermon. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? 
Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And just quickly we'll read the text again in verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So far. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, perhaps it is with some frustration or bewilderment that we read about the Old Testament Israelites and their constant complaints and disobedience. We shake our heads at this desert wandering group who can see God work spectacular miracles one day, and then the next day they act as if they would be better off with the stone idols of Egypt. Yes, we're quite sympathetic with Aaron and Moses and Joshua. And we are awed at the patience and forbearance of God. And so we should be. But brothers and sisters, we are in danger also of failing to recognize the potential of sin and unbelief in our own lives. And so we do well then to listen as the author of Hebrews uses the example of the stubborn and disobedient Israelites to warn his own Christian audience against falling into the same sin. We'll see in our text this morning an urgent call 
to hold fast our faith. That's our theme for this morning, an urgent call to hold fast our faith. We'll see that we do so first by guarding against the unbelief of yesterday, second by exhorting one another today, and finally by persevering until tomorrow. First then, Christ's church holds fast her faith by guarding against the unbelief of yesterday. Seeing as we're jumping into the middle of Hebrews this morning, it may be helpful to situate ourselves somewhat. Overall, the theme of Hebrews is quite simple. Jesus is supreme. He's better than the angels. The covenant he established is better than the old. His priesthood is better than Levi's. The sacrifice he offered was better than those in the Old Testament. And all of this is meant to be an encouragement for his readers. And in the midst of that message, the author of Hebrews also weaves in a number of strong warnings. Warnings against failing to believe in this supreme Savior. The first one came at the beginning of chapter 2, and now our passage is the second of those warnings. So at the beginning of the chapter, which we didn't read, Jesus is shown to be faithful. Even more faithful than Moses, faithful as the Son of God in all God's house. And then we read at the end of verse 6, we are God's house if we hold fast our confidence. If indeed we remain faithful like Jesus was. So the natural question is, then how do we remain faithful? Well, what follows is a strong warning to the readers of Hebrews not to fall away into unbelief. And the way the author does that and gives this warning is essentially by preaching from Psalm 95. That's the text message he gives in verses 7 through 11. Psalm 95 itself contains a strong warning which the author of Hebrews still finds relevant for his audience. And so what we have in our text is an explanation or exhortation of those verses in Psalm 95. And he'll continue to come back to those verses in and after our text. And so we come to our text this morning. Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Beware. We can translate that command as as watch out or take care. The author of Hebrews is speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ and he is concerned for them. It's not entirely clear who his audience is or what their context is, but it seems that there is a danger of some Christians falling away. Whether because of trials or worldly influences, some are in danger of rejecting their supreme Savior. And with this warning we find in our passage, we are reminded of the similar pleas of Joshua and Caleb, which we read in Numbers 14. That rebellion of Israel is at the edge of the promised land is the background behind our text. We read there that those two men tore their clothes and cried out to the congregation, the land is good, do not rebel against the Lord. And the author of Hebrews has the same urgent call. He's not overstating his case either to use this this example from Numbers 14. No, here the stakes are even higher. 
What we see in Numbers 14 is the extent of what evil hearts of unbelief means. And so he draws his readers back through Psalm 95 to consider the Israelites at the promised land. Twelve men, one from each tribe sent in to spy out the land. To spy out its cities and peoples and its fruitfulness. And so after 40 days they returned, but they were speaking of giants, large cities and strong nations. And all the people of Israel raised a loud cry and they rebelled against the Lord. They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is their unbelief. Though they had seen all God's wonders in Egypt, though they had seen the Red Sea parted, Egypt destroyed, manna and birds fell from heaven, water poured out from rocks. And now here is the promised land lying before them with God's own promise. And yet they turned their backs and rebelled against God. And so the author of Hebrews says, Remember your brothers of yesterday. Watch out lest you fall into the same unbelief, the same rebellion. After all, as he points out in verse 19, following our text, it was because of unbelief that they were unable to enter the promised land. But if the readers of Hebrews didn't have a physical promised land to enter, what would be the consequence for them of not failing or of failing to believe? Well, we read in verse 12 that such an evil, unbelieving heart would lead them to fall away from the living God, to depart from Him. This is the same word we use for apostatize. It means separating oneself from God. Jesus used this same word in the parable of the sowers to describe the seeds that had fallen among the rocks. He said, these are those who heard the word, received it with joy, but there were no roots. And so they believed for a while, but in time of testing, they fell away. This is what unbelief leads to. This is the concern of the author time and time again throughout the book of Hebrews. He's not implying that some have fallen past the point of no return. No, the author wishes to prevent them from doing so. To watch out because this is where unbelief leads to. Because of unbelief, they would be unable to enter the ultimate rest of their Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, this same warning also comes to us. The Holy Spirit's words are timeless through Psalm 95 and now through Hebrews 3 to us. Just like the Israelites witnessing God's deliverance we too have seen the glorious riches of God's mercy in His Son, Jesus Christ. We have seen how Jesus was faithful in His ministry on earth, obedient to the very end, even though that meant death on the cross. Jesus Christ was the true Passover Lamb. His blood was shed that we may have deliverance. All this we have seen. And so just as the writer of Hebrews says earlier in chapter 2, verse 3, How then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we, like the Israelites, have been given such promises, standing at the brink of ultimate deliverance 
and fail to believe. Yes, take care, brothers and sisters. Watch out, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. For if that is the case, you will indeed fail to enter God's rest. Now maybe it's hard to see that this is a real danger for us. Maybe there, but there are things we can see in our lives to beware, to watch out for, to show that this danger is real today. Perhaps it's a waning of commitment to the Lord. You're starting to forget that one day we will meet the Lord. Or maybe there's a gradual decline in holiness. And you give in more easily now than you used to, to lust. Or your sins don't grieve you as much. Or maybe you're finding yourself more comfortable with your friends and from work or from sports than you do with upright, strong Christians. Perhaps there's growing disinterest in coming to worship here on Sunday. Maybe you first flirted with sin secretly, but now it's more open. Brothers and sisters, we must watch out. We must be careful. Yes, we hold fast our faith by guarding against this unbelief. And with that, we come to our second point. We also hold fast our faith by exhorting one another today. The recipients of this letter are to be personally vigilant, but also communally. They are to be vigilant for the sake of one another. After all, we are a body, members together in Christ. And so we are to exhort each other. That word doesn't mean preach to each other. It means to strongly urge. It's often translated as encourage. So the sense then is that in order to guard against unbelief, we are to encourage each other, to exhort each other, to be faithful. You see, it can be very difficult when we're alone to resist certain sins and temptations. When we are alone, the lies and deceit of sin can be very convincing. But when we're not alone, when we have the encouragement and exhortations of our brothers and sisters standing together against sin, watching out for one another, then sin has a much harder time of taking hold in our lives. And to illustrate that, there's a beautiful story which maybe you have read in the latest Reform perspective. But where I come from, the Bulkley Valley, there were a number of men a number of years ago who together took a stand against the lure of pornography. It was a small effort at first, but then more and more joined until more than a hundred men and some women as well together faced this sin and temptation. And God gave them a mighty victory. Lives, marriages, the church transformed. I mean visibly and tangibly so. God did that through the exhortations and encouragements of brothers and sisters. Perhaps some of you knew all too well the picture of a young person fighting this temptation alone in silence and shame. 
Well, how much different that is in an entire community of men, young and old, encouraging each other, exhorting each other, opening up to each other. Older men counseling younger fathers, encouraging sons. All together fighting the same battles shoulder to shoulder. And those who gained their freedom turned and strengthened those still in the fight. Doesn't your heart long for that as the body of Christ? To see such a defeat of sin and Satan in the lives of so many. Then brothers and sisters encourage each other. Not just in the area of pornography, but in every temptation and deceit and trial that faces the body of Christ. Every deceit that seeks to destroy. And if you do feel alone, brother or sister, then seek out the company of those who can exhort you and encourage you. Do you see? These are the very means which God has given to uphold His church. Watching out for one another, encouraging each other, fighting together. This is not simply a suggestion or a good strategy. This is the way that God would have us persevere in faith, together. Some battles are not meant to be won alone. In fact, most aren't. And so the author of Hebrews says, exhort one another daily as long as it is called today. Once again, he's drawing from Psalm 95. There the psalmist declared today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. There's an urgency here. We must exhort each other every day. And we must, it must be frequent because we are weak. And we must exhort each other today while we still can. Because brothers and sisters, tomorrow is coming. A day when it will be too late to turn back from unbelief. A day when judgment will come and our hearts will be laid bare. Yes, today is the moment of grace. Tomorrow is the moment of judgment. And so we read, exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Again, this is from Psalm 95 and the Israelites who hardened their hearts in their rebellion. And as a result, they failed to enter. Do you see the reason now for such urgency? For a response from the whole body of Christ, it is because sin is deceitful. Even though we all need God, even though we all depend on Him if we are to live, yet sin lies to us and tells us that we don't need Him. Just like it did at the very beginning with Adam and Eve when, when they were deceived by the crafty serpent. Yes, sin entices And it takes hold, and when it is fully grown, it hardens the sinner in unbelief. When it is fully grown, it brings forth death. So let us be on guard, brothers and sisters. On guard together. Let us constantly, while there is still a today, encourage each other and exhort each other to be faithful. As one commentator observed, how much different it would have been For the Israelites in the desert, if only they had daily fostered among themselves a firm faith in God, instead of mutually inciting a spirit of rebellion and unbelief. And so let this be a warning and a call to faith. 
And yet in all of this, let us not miss the mercies of God. He is gracious in providing His church with the the means to remain faithful and steadfast. Not only through His Spirit, but also through one another as the body of Christ. Yes, God is abundantly merciful and giving us warnings in Scripture. Calls for repentance. God is merciful in providing a way to eternal rest in Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because the fact that there is still a today to repent, to be faithful, to enter God's rest, that is all because of Jesus. That day should have been over the moment that Adam and Eve took the fruit. That should have been the end. But it wasn't, and thousands of years later there is still a today. All because God ordained to send His Son to redeem His people. And yet, brothers and sisters, today doesn't last forever. Tomorrow is coming. So act like the body of Christ that you are members of one another and support each other in this fight. Encourage and exhort each other. Do this together and you will not need to fear being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Thanks be to Christ. And finally, we'll see that we hold fast by persevering until tomorrow. We read in verse 14, For we have become partakers of Christ. We have become and still are partakers in Him. That means we share in Christ and all His benefits in His sufferings and His sacrifice, and we share that together. As members of the body, we together share in Christ, united in Him and to Him as the head of the body. The author of Hebrews here is holding up the rich promises that we've received because he's concerned that God's people aren't seeing them. Once again, this calls to mind the urgency and pleas of Joshua and Caleb. They too tore their clothes and cried out, the land we spied out is an exceedingly good land. God has promised to bring us into that land to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Well, so too, brothers and sisters, our promised inheritance in Christ is exceedingly good. God has promised to bring us to Himself if we are faithful, if we trust in Him. He has promised to give us life everlasting in His eternal glory. To spend eternity with our God and Creator and Savior. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not throw it away. Do not turn your backs on this promise. Yes, just like the Israelites faced, it will not be easy to take possession of that rest. The race ahead is long and difficult. There are giants to overcome. But let us persevere, brothers and sisters, because God has promised to carry us through. Let us not lose sight of the prize at the end of the race. Let us not throw it all away because of the deceit of sin, because of temporary earthly pleasures or the hardships you face today. 
The Apostle Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Congregation, let us keep our eyes fixed on what is before us. On what God has promised us. Because because as the author of Hebrews says, this is all ours in Christ. We share in Him if, if indeed we persevere to the end. If indeed we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That means this promise in Christ remains true so long as we remain faithful. That was already implied in the warning in verse 12 and verse 13. The Israelites faced the same condition and they failed. They were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Now perhaps the if is difficult for you to swallow. We don't want ifs, we want assurance. Ifs are frightening because they open up the possibility that there is something other than entering into the promised rest. But Jesus taught this way too. He said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And really, we see this kind of condition more often. Think of the letters to the churches in Revelation. Most of them encourage the churches to remain faithful. And then they all finish with something like, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life. But you see, that's no different from saying, I will grant you to eat of this tree of life if indeed you conquer. The point here in the strong wording of our text is to emphasize the seriousness of the Christian's call. Obedience and faithfulness to the covenant bring blessings. But unfaithfulness and apostasy lead to judgment. This has always been so. And it's not inappropriate for Scripture to give such strong warnings. In fact, we confess in Canons of Dort, chapter 5, that the exhortations and threats in Scripture like this passage are actually one of God's means of preserving His saints. It is His means of calling His people back. So let us therefore truly examine our hearts. We must remember that Christ said, the branches which bear no fruit will be thrown into the fire. And so we must take care and encourage each other and examine ourselves to see if there is indeed fruit. You see, it is only he who abides in Christ who bears fruit. Apart from him, you can do nothing. So if you see nothing, then you must return to Christ. If your profession of faith does not line up with the way you are living, then you must take care, brother or sister lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Lest you be hardened in your sin and fall away from God. It is in Christ, sharing in Christ, that we are able to hold the beginning of our confidence firm to the end. What is this confidence? It's not some sort of emotional or subjective experience. No, the readers of this letter are being asked to stand firm in the objective reality that they share in Christ. Hold firm to the faith that you began with. 
Paul writes in Galatians 5, you were running well. Who hindered you? Yes, to begin the race well is good, but it is not enough. We must persevere to the end to stay the course and finish the the race. Later in Hebrews, after reflecting on all those heroes of the faith who did indeed take hold of God's promises, it says there, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. This is a race of endurance, a marathon. No, the Christian walk is not easy. We face many difficulties and trials in this life already because of sin. And being followers of Christ only adds to those trials. The devil would like nothing more to trip us up and make us give up and turn around. But if we are to win that prize and enter God's rest, then we must run. But we run in Christ. We fix our eyes on Him. We find our strength in Him. We persevere in Him. That is how we hold steadfast. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21 uses the same word of of being steadfast. It says it is God who establishes us. The same word. It is God who makes us steadfast. We hold fast our faith in Christ and we depend on Him to hold us fast in Himself. This is where the comfort of partaking of sharing in Christ comes in. Sharing in Him also means that He works in us. Sharing in Him also means the Spirit's dwelling in our hearts. At the end of this letter to the Hebrews, the author prays that our Supreme Savior would equip us with every good, with everything good, that we may do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. You see, we do not have to do this in our own strength. God has promised to equip us, to work it in us. It's all part of our exceedingly good inheritance which we receive in Christ. So let us encourage each other. Let us exhort each other to continue to run. To run until it's tomorrow. The promised land lies before you, brothers and sisters. Do not fear the giants and the trials that lay ahead. For the Lord is with us. The one who promised is faithful to the end. Amen.